Hello and welcome to the Sports Grade Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me, as always, is the seasoned traveller, Reuben Williams. How are you today, mate? I'm fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. Going well. Just returned from a bit of a road trip up to the centre of Australia. Uh, didn't intend on making it there, but after I booked a flight on Monday and woke up on Tuesday to find that Queensland was in lockdown and had to cancel it, driving from Melbourne to Uluru was the second best option. So it's wow. good to be back. It's good to be in the comfort of my house and lawn. Um, so, And it's always a pleasure to be talking with you. Yeah, well, I know I know the trip goes well when I look at my Strava and I see Ruben has just run a half marathon at four minutes and then the next day he rides 100Ks around Uluru. And I guess I was like, hmm, okay, he's enjoying himself in the red <laughs> So, it seemed to go well besides, I believe, a, a missing laptop. But we'll, we can leave that <laughs> for another time. Um, <laughs> but it's good to see that you're, you're back healthy and well uh, in the great land of lawn. So, um, let's crack on to today's episode. So, Mark Olmus from Tabcorp, uh, absolute legend of the podcast. I've really enjoyed chatting to him. Uh, what were some things you enjoyed from the episode? Yeah, I love chatting to Mark. He's an excellent storyteller and one of the great stories of this podcast dates back to one of our earliest episodes with Eliza Dewar where she got an internship by going to a party. Well, Ryan, we've come up with our second job via a party. So, Mark has that brilliant story to explain and it's a brilliant example of how you should always be on your game. You should always be carrying yourself in a positive way, as Mark will say, because the opportunities are never where you expect them to be. So, um, the way that he managed to pull that opportunity together through a party is uh, one of the great uh, insights you'll hear on this podcast. Yeah, it was unreal. And you were de- you're dead right. He's a great storyteller. So, get ready for that. What I loved was just how he's become a media presenter and he's done no prior sort of media training or presenting mm. and stuff like that. I, I know he, he did a bit of a course, which we'll, we'll hear about later, but... Um, the fact that he's sort of built his way through a number of roles, you know, in the industry, and also the fact that he never intended on becoming a media presenter, and he, and he's done that is absolutely awesome. And he speaks to that through the episode, which was just really cool to hear. So, yeah, yeah, that was sensational. And then finally, I thought what was also terrific is we got an insight into the racing industry for the first time. We've d- covered a lot of ball sports. We haven't covered a lot of mm. horse sports or dog no. sports. Um, so, <laughs> so um, it was really interesting to actually just find out what goes on there and what sort of opportunities exist in that space. And um, to be honest, there was some lingo that I couldn't keep up with with, <laughs> with Mark because he knows a lot about that space. But um, um, to hear it firsthand with, with him, just painted a really clear picture in my mind of what it's like if I was to navigate into that industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Mark Olmos. Mark, welcome to the Sports Grade Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, boys, uh, Ryan and Ruben, R&R, very good. <laughs> Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, We want to start with something that's extremely important for any person's journey into sport, and that is the reason why you got into sport. 
Now, your history lends itself to, to horse racing. So why horse racing? What was the moment that you got set on that journey? Uh, it's uh, There'll be a few stories throughout uh, our chat, but this story I do enjoy telling more than most. Uh, I grew up with a father for a punter, and uh, he wasn't a massive punter or everything, but he did enjoy a bet on many occasions and quite frequently throughout the week. So that would always be at the tab, and there were occasions where, as kids, myself and my sister would have to go in with him. And, uh, and like, oh, I just remember thinking, oh, last thing I'm ever, ever going to do is, you know, be a punter or get into racing. I just I can't wait till I'm old enough and I don't have to follow Dad around to, to tabs. Now, that sounds like he did it every day. It wasn't every day. It was most weekends, though, when uh, we were living in East Malvern and down at Caulfield, we'd be at the shops and he'd be at Zagami's, which I don't know what it is now, but he'd always be at that tab having a bet. Um, and I didn't like anything about it, but... Yeah, that, that's how that's how I thought I was never going to get into racing. Um, <laughs> and then I went to the Melbourne Cup 2016. And um, for anybody who knows anything about marketing, 101 is um, you make an event for the girls and the blokes will follow. So that's exactly <laughs> what my mates did. We went to the Melbourne Cup in 2006 uh, with a bunch of our friends who were girls. And uh, it was quite a historic Melbourne Cup, a couple of Japanese horses, Quinella in the race, and this was right after Maccabi Deaver had won her three Melbourne Cups. And anyway, I thought, oh, like, this was a fun day out. It was actually a cold day, but uh, I remember thinking, oh, like, this is okay. I'm still not sure about what all the fuss is. Um, and then when I turned 18, I remember having a bit on the Melbourne Cup in 2007, and uh, from from there, I think I backed the second place, get a horse called Purple Moon, and uh, Damon Oliver rode it. Everybody backs Oliver when they don't know what to uh, back in the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> and then um, he ran second. I still had a collect, which is fantastic. And then I remember I went to schoolies and I was there a couple of days earlier. And this is where it all probably really kicked off. I got the paper and I just did what my dad would do, which is get the form guide out of the paper in the morning. And I had a look and I think there were some really dodgy races on. And I thought, oh, I'll try my luck. And I went to the uh, Great Northern there in Byron Bay. I, I was there a few days earlier. Anyway, put on all my bets for the day. Sure enough, a couple of them lobbed at really nice prices. I thought, oh, this, this is all right. <laughs> this is pretty good. So I was playing with theirs for the majority of schoolies, and then all of um, all of my um, yeah, that that's where the kind of relationship blossomed, if you will, through the punt. I remember paying for schoolies with one trifecta um, <laughs> at the Great Northern, and uh, that's where it all. Uh, that's where it all stemmed from. All my mates were like, what are you doing? Come to the beach with us, you know. So you're <laughs> such a saddo being at, at the pub of the tab and then I'm paying for everything throughout the yeah. whole week. And they're going, oh, no, not so bad. You can keep doing it. Um, anyway, <laughs> this is where the blossoming period came. Um, but the love then came from, um, I guess, following my passion. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was 23. Um, and then I came across a... You know, the participants, and you hear about the stories when you're following racing through the media, and I loved all the stories. Um, I see Melbourne Cup as not just 24 horses, but 24 avenues of stories, uh, and they're all so, so enthralling um, and really emotive, and I loved that. And then a horse by the name of Atlantic Jewel eventually became the animal, and that's where the love really started. Um, I fell in love with Atlantic Jewel. She, we, she was only beaten once, and that was probably – the most heartbreaking moment of my race watching career. I was in the car list to the radio and she'd got done, but 
Um, when she came along, that's when I really fell in love with racing. Very long story, but she, she was a, a beautiful filly who just had all the grace. Uh, she was by a great horse in Zabil in terms of her breeding. Uh, and now my love has grown even further. It's veered away from the punt. I still love a flutter, but I just love participants and their stories, capturing those stories and um, turning them into brilliant content because racing is full of such a vast range of people. But uh, the love ended up coming from the animal. I love that. I, I, like, I don't think we've had someone on the podcast describe their passion for the sport that they're in, or what you know, whatever they're in, uh, as well as you've just done there. So that that's awesome, mate. Um, Multiple elements, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. It's hard to one, but it's always growing and festering all the time until it, like a relationship, you fall in love. Absolutely, Re- Ruben knows all about that uh, <laughs> through the years. So, <laughs> um. Like many in the sports industry, you, you actually started off volunteering, um, like we all have really, um, and this with the, the National Jockey Trust. Can you talk us through, firstly, ha- how you got that opportunity and, and what kind of work did you did you have to do there? Yeah, a, a massive part of my journey uh, is volunteering, which I dare say many of your listeners uh, would be the exact same. Same for you guys. Uh, yeah, again, this is another story I really enjoy telling um the national jockeys trust was was when it i was thinking about it's like any career counselor will tell you well you don't know what you want to do do what you love and i thought oh i don't know if i do want to do it or if i do love it or if it's just too hard i ended up putting my name down on a volunteer board for the national jockeys trust because they're always looking for volunteers and it seemed like a really good way to to i guess um you know help in a way, I think that's where it came from. If I'm helping, um, if I'm helping a, a volunteer association, then maybe that'll give me just a little taste of, of what it's like. And sure enough, I I put my name down for this list. I hadn't heard anything for a really long time, and it was a miserable Friday. Would have been in uh, would have been August, sorry, uh, 2013, and I just finished uni, and I get a phone call from a very odd number, and uh, I picked it up and then it was this lady said, uh, we're, we're looking for volunteers and we have absolutely none and we need some for tomorrow. The opening day of the new season, season 13, 14, uh, at Mooney Valley, just to rattle some tins and sell some merchandise. And I, I was a bit apprehensive because I wasn't a very go-forward kid. Believe it or not, I might have kid or would have been 23 or something, but <laughs> I, I didn't um, – didn't, uh, I just didn't want to put myself out there, I guess. I still probably am more of an introvert than an extrovert. But uh, I thought, you know what? For some reason, I was in a mood that day where I thought, yeah, why not? Like, it's going to be a horrible day tomorrow at the races, but why not just put myself in that really uncomfortable uh, position and who knows what will happen? I mean, nothing really bad can happen when you do things like that. So anyway, it got sorted out, went to the races, ended up, getting to have a really nice feed in the in the committee room because there were no other volunteers and uh, kicked off the season. Then I was out rattling a few tins and then at the front I was selling merchandise to people walking past and uh, it's a good place to be because people that are lost will walk past you but people that have won, they've got money to spend and they'll go, yeah, I'm helping out for a good cause. Um, and then it started bucketing down. I'll never forget that day. <laughs> And I actually snapped a selfie that day with Michelle Payne, which was a which was a highlight. My first day of volunteering, 
Um, yeah, so that was how it started, and it was just putting myself out of my comfort zone, which to everybody listening, I'd recommend doing. Um, and then from there, I volunteered another couple of days, got to meet a few ex-jockeys, know their stories, a few families of jockeys who have passed, uh, know their stories, because it's obviously raising funds for a, a trust that can help a person or a family in need if they do have a racetrack fall or a racetrack incident. Uh, and then I went and did a placement and internship with uh, Tanya Fullerton, who was running the Jockeys Trust at that time. She's got a racing background, but she's got her own marketing company called Join the Dots. I went into my uni placement with her uh, the following year, which was unbelievable. Um, just lots of events, golf days. There was a charity called Four Tracks for Kids where they used to walk around the four metropolitan tracks of Sydney and Melbourne and they'd raise a stack of money. The guys there did an unbelievable job. And I'd do, uh, yeah, content for the website, social media, and I got to meet a lot of people and uh, get a lot of great experiences out of it by putting myself out of the comfort zone. One of your other experiences following that was social media coordinator at the VRC. Was this something that you had um, developed skills for along the way to get to this point or was it your passion for racing and your passion for, for storytelling, as you've referenced a few times, that gave you the opportunity? It's a little bit of both. Uh, well, I studied PR at uni and attached to that, I guess, is a little bit of social media. I mean, at that time, that social media was sort of just flourishing and anybody who wanted it in anywhere was going up to any businesses and saying, oh, I'll do your social media for you, not realising the skill it actually takes. Um, but also, yeah, the content side of things. But again, this is an opportunity that came to me in a really strange roundabout way. Um Oh, I've told enough stories already, uh, but these stories, like please, even go on. This story is one of my favourites because uh, I, I guess it'll just hammer down the point to everybody listening that you never know what experiences are around the corner, who you're going to meet, and I don't like saying this because it makes it sound like you're getting something for nothing. But how they they can help you, or they might help you in the future, especially with the impression you make. Anyway, I remember. Uh, so one of my best mates, he was working with a girl at Calvin Klein Jeans and he was really interested in um, this girl's housemate and he said, mate, she's having a party and I really want to go um, because I'm, I'm so keen on her. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, and? And he said, well, I want you to come along with me because I don't want to go by myself. I said, oh, righto. Again, put myself outside of my comfort zone. I said, righto, I have to meet new people and whatever else. And then we went. And it turns out, um, yeah, really cool people. And then I ended up tagging along to another party, the same people a few weeks later. And I met this guy there who um, was just standing by himself, started talking to him, really lovely fellow. And uh, it turns out he works at the VRC. And I go, oh, what do you do there? He said, I work in PR. And I said, oh, okay, what did you do at uni? And he said, I went to RMIT and studied PR. And I said, no way, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. And we just got talking and he said, well, let's get in touch, like let's stay in touch and then if you come to the races, we'll have a chat, we'll have a drink, whatever. Um, and then a year or so down the line, I get a call from his boss saying that they're hiring for the upcoming carnival in 2015. Let's go get a coffee. We went and got a, got a coffee. Carly Sullivan, who's one of the most creative, um, unbelievably talented people you'd ever meet, um, she was my manager. Oh, she ended up being my manager. She hired me. But that's how I got the in, just this random roundabout way. So you never know who you're going to come across. I say this I say this to 
I remember young kids that uh, at cricket who I used to used to ask, "What are you going to do? You um, you know, you're going to uni next year. What are you going to do? You're going to keep working?" He said, "Oh, I'm going to think I'm going to keep working." One kid and working at Mac. I said, "Mate, you never know who you're going to come across. So just keep talking to people. It's a great outlet to do it." But uh, that's how I got the job at the VRC. Um, that's another one of my stories. Um, and then, yeah, 2015, I got there, social media, content, and um, and that was the same year that Michelle Payne won the Melbourne Cup. So our social media numbers went bonkers off. through the roof. Um, and I, like, I'm so proud to be able to say that I was a huge part of that, but it was an unbelievable, unbelievable um, uh, experience. But, yeah, that, that wasn't where I found my passion for media, I guess, that um, – Came a little way down the line. I love that at that party, like that guy obviously spoke to his boss. Like it wasn't he rang you, it was like he spoke to someone and then that is what, you know, that's yeah, how well, it panned out. And that kind of shows well, we, that it's... Well, we'd yeah. been in touch. We'd been, sorry, Ron, we'd been in touch and, uh, and you know, we I saw him a couple of times at the races just in passing. Um, and then, yeah, I, I'd met his boss and his boss said, yeah, let's catch up for a coffee and... They wanted somebody more on the racing side of things, whereas they had a lot of people uh, in PR, social media, to do with fashion and events, and uh, they needed someone in racing, and it was, again, just right place, right time. Yeah. It, it's such an important thing, though, like being able to gel with the people you're going to work with. And, um, Mark, you would have been right across this episode 100. We came up with eight principles of how to get a job in sport. One of them was... If you can learn to hang out with the people who are going to hire you, then you tick cultural fit. And the example that we shared in that episode featured Eliza Dewar from the Carlton Football Club who found her role at Gymnastics Victoria by going to a party as well. So it's nice to see that there are more people out there finding jobs through going to parties and just <laughs> being the types of people that other people want to hang out with because cultural fit is such an important part. Absolutely. And putting yourself out there to find what your cultural fit is, really important, hit the nail on the head. Um, but also through doing those things, you, you're you really increasing and uh, expanding your social skills, which we know is so important. Yeah, totally. Um one of the more interesting roles that I've seen on your LinkedIn, and I didn't know you did this prior to knowing you, Mark, but you're a bid spotter at the Magic Millions. Now, I've heard a little bit about what the Magic Millions is, but can you tell us and the listeners out there what it is and what does that role entail? So, Magic Millions is an auction house, um, bloodstock auction house for horses um, at all ages and all different um, times of their lives, you know, brood mares. It's, it's a lucrative industry. Uh, and I was in Perth at the time, and uh, the auction house over there is is Magic Millions. They they have that territory. And I'm really keen on pedigrees. So like I said about stories in a Melbourne Cup, I don't see 24 horses. I see 24 avenues of, of stories. And, uh, and with pedigrees, it's the same thing. Every horse has a pedigree that's so deep and, full of their own stories without actually having to say anything. So I'm fascinated by that. Confirmation of horses, the athlete, um, seeing how they're put together um, and other factors that make a really smart and fast horse. I was always keen on that. Um, and then and then the opportunity came up to just go to the sales and, and work for them um, in a bid spotting capacity. And it always seemed like a bit of fun, lots of loud noises, lots of money being thrown around. And I thought, oh, I, I remember getting in touch with the boss there 
And at the time, I was sort of well into the industry over there. And they said, yeah, yeah, come on over. We'll fit you up with some chinos and a shirt and, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. And uh, and it was fantastic. So at the sales, um, you're taking bids and it's high energy, high action. And, you know, you're screaming out, hey, or you're screaming out, five more, five more. It's um, it's brilliant. And you're having a bit of fun too with the people bidding. So you're saying, come on, go one more. You'll get them. You'll get them. Go one yeah. more. And people in racing have money. So uh, it wasn't the hardest of jobs, but again, a terrific opportunity to step outside of the comfort zone and um, to do a little bit of extra work, meet new people, great characters and uh, have some fun. But I will say that it is bloody hard work standing on your feet for anywhere between six and eight hours a day, um, keeping that energy up. But um, yeah, really fun. And I I loved every bit of it. They, They wanted me to go to the Gold Coast and do the big sales is, uh, is that the I, one where the horses um, race on the beach? Yeah, so that's part of the carnival. Yeah, 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 yeah. spot on, Ryan. So uh, the horses they they do it. They do a beach race, which is you know mainly for PR. Uh, that's before the the big race day up there in in January, and uh, that's during the sales as well. So you know yearlings being bought for crazy thousands of dollars. Um, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And, yeah, it's it's um, it's a wild industry, the bloodstock industry, just purely because of the figures that you see being thrown around. So, yeah, I just inserted myself in there and, again, another great experience. That is brilliant and uh, something we might have to become a part of in some way, shape or form in the future, Ryan. Boys, even if you want to go to the sales, um, Inglis have, have Melbourne and, and Sydney and the rest – are, uh, are magic millions, but even just to go and have a day out and have a beer and just people watch, it's fascinating. Yep. Yeah, yeah, oh, I can imagine. Well, that's the list, um, groups. Absolutely, the the world tour continues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, more more recently, as uh, as Ryan would say, you, you saw the light and, and moved to Perth for a period of time to take up a role as communications specialist at, at Perth Racing. When you came back to Melbourne. You're now in the role of presenter at Tabcorp, which sounds quite, you know, similar in some respects, but vastly different in others. So I'm interested interested to know, like, how did you grow during that period to transition from a communication specialist to a presenter? Yeah, so I, I so well, I went from Perth. I was only in Perth for 18 months, and I actually went to Sydney. So I was in Sydney for another three and a half years. I moved back to Melbourne at uh, the start of. 2021 uh, mid Feb, just because the opportunity became available to move back and and be with family, especially after what was a, a tricky 12 months due to COVID. But uh, yeah, just going back to Perth. Perth's my adopted home. I I love and I adore Perth, uh, which I never ever thought I'd say, being a very very parochial. <laughs> um, but that that was the opportunity that would lead me to where I am now. Uh, people are just beautiful and welcoming. You think you might be an outsider, but gee, the racing community especially uh, was so, so warm and welcoming. In terms of my career and um, comparing it to the human life cycle, that was my growth spurt, that 18 months. Learned a lot there, mainly around communication relationships, but also objective skill sets like media, written and spoken, um, and some administrative racing work, social media content, etc. Um, also, yeah, when, when I go back to communication, 
my my theory around communication is that the biggest part of communication is listening. I developed that skill over there. Um, so I really had a tasting board over in Perth to decide what path I wanted to end up going down. And uh, I ended up taking the media route, which led me to go to Sky Racing in Sydney. Um, so in terms of being a presenter, it's mainly a, a racing presenter, which I, I absolutely, absolutely love. But, yeah, when, we, when we're speaking about growing through your kind of career, um, you've just you've just got to have that appetite and that attitude to to take everything on board. And that's why Perth was great. It was completely new for me. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was forced to kind of uh, adapt or die. And thankfully, I adapted. And I, I, I loved Perth so much. 18 months, I look back, and I, I kind of wish it was a little longer. Uh, but no, I, I went there for, for the purpose I needed to. And, uh, and yeah, and it, it, was, it was terrific. But like I say, that 18 months was my growth spurt, um, which, which told me where, where to next. Perth is the uh, the land of opportunity, uh, Mark. So yeah, well, I never thought I'd say it either, Ruben. It is a, just the people. Yeah, I, I'm always taken by people, and the people over in Perth are just beautiful. Lovely, I love that. Um, so as a media presenter today, um, mm. obviously you said you're at Sky Racing and now Tab Corp. What does the standard sort of week look like for you and what are the main skills that you need to be really well-versed at to, to perform well? Uh, yeah, well, racing, uh, very rarely two weeks are the same. Uh, it's just so fast-paced and it's constantly evolving, racing, so there's always something new happening or there is always news like any industry, any sport really, um, but you just have to kind of, be uh, be up with it. I know I've got certain things that I do to be able to stay afloat with what's going on, and that's by reading a couple of publications every morning and making sure I know what's going on. So if something does come up, you know, oh yeah, that's what they're talking about, or that you know that's because of that, or, or whatever it is. But I oh, look usually um, for me now a Tuesday morning I'll be on radio on Sydney radio for a program called Going Greyhounds, half an hour. And uh, then usually Tuesday afternoon, we're currently in a recess, but usually on a Tuesday afternoon after that, we'll record the Catching Pen, which is the, the magazine show for the greyhound racing industry. I, uh, I was over in Perth doing thoroughbreds and uh, doing trackside uh, commentary and coverage of the thoroughbreds, Ascot, Belmont. And uh, then I moved to Sky Racing, and that's it's more of all three codes you've got to, to be, be informed on. And uh, the opportunity came up to do Greyhounds, which I jumped at because it was just something new again and something different. And uh, it gave me a brand new challenge to learn a whole new code and meet a whole bunch of different people. So uh, I'm basically one of the faces of Greyhound Racing on Sky Racing, which I love, and I love the people I've met too. Uh, oh, the people are just the people are just so down to earth and uh, so easy to talk to because. You know, when somebody, when you got to remember in our racing industry, when somebody sees somebody taking an interest, they go, oh, somebody cares. And that's what I'd like to think that I do and we do with Going Greyhounds and with the Catching Pen. So, um, yeah, those two, two shows I love on a Tuesday. And 
Um, for the rest of the week, it's usually four other studio shifts, um, which is basically tote calling, um, and, you know, promotion, marketing, the rest of it. Uh, or if we've got a, a main uh, a main Greyhound meeting on, I'd be on track for for that. Um, but the main skills, uh, communication, is is definitely the main skill. Uh, but uh, but the biggest part, yeah, like I said, of all communication is listening and absorbing. Also, a uh, big part of it now with being on course is relationship building. So you want to be able to. Uh, build a relationship with somebody so you can obviously interview them and uh, and nothing's you know frosty and everything's above board and you know and just oh, I mean I'm a genuinely caring person I'd like to think anyway so uh, I'd like to think that that but comes pretty naturally for me but it is very important that if you don't have those relationship building skills just put yourself like like I did in uncomfortable social um, positions and you will learn a lot about yourself and most importantly you will learn a lot about other people and how they operate um, and all the time well, back to the other four days of the week outside of the greyhound shows we're always marketing a product uh, selling a product whether it's bets or other features and we're also representing uh, an industry leading brand so public relations is another skill that definitely comes into play um, when we're working for those uh, other other shifts and what we're trying to achieve. Mark, I'm interested to learn how you developed some of those presenting skills because it seems to me like there's kind of two skill sets at hand here. There's your media presenter skills where you're talking on camera and having a discussion and then when you're calling the race, like that seems like an entirely different kettle of fish to be able to name what's going on uh, at certain points in time, particularly when you're calling something as fast as, as a greyhound race, for example. So how do you go about developing each of those? Yeah, look, so uh, it's it's a good question because I, I never thought I'd be on television or broadcasting. Um, I don't call the races. I have had to step in on a couple of occasions when, say, a line drops out, uh, and that is hard. What those guys do is ridiculously <laughs> difficult. and I have That's high pressure. <laughs> much admiration for them it is high pressure but when it comes down to us having to do it in the studio it's like it, 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 he's not a caller the expectation is very low <laughs> so happy days um is, is it obvious I'm, when someone isn't a caller oh yeah oh, <laughs> and i tell you what there are some guys that aren't callers that are absolutely brilliant at it uh, <laughs> a bit of stuff going around on social media a couple of lads from canberra and uh they just have the freakish, most freakish memories, and they've memorised Matt Hill's race calls, and they are hilarious and entertaining. I highly recommend you go and have a listen. I can't remember what the lads call themselves, but gee, they're they're, they're terrific. Um, anyway, in terms of um, yeah, those those skills that you you asked about, Ruben, it's it's yeah. It, it, look, you just kind of develop them over time. Like I went to Perth not thinking that. I'd go down the media path, but that's what's happened. Um, like I said, it was great to do a bevy of of, uh, of different roles there as a communications specialist at Perth Racing. But uh, when I was over in Perth, I was lucky enough to be mentored by some of the best, including a guy called Trevor Jenkins, who's a professional voice coach and a, a TV presenter, broadcaster and race caller himself. Uh, TJ is a great man and has been a great help to me. 
his claim to fame is not only he's been a race caller and a footy caller over there for a really long time, but he had the ethereal Caulfield Cup, Melbourne Cup double in 2001, made the paper. He, he made a mozza. He made so much money, TJ. Um, <laughs> and he's a great man, and he helped me so much. So I, uh, I had about eight sessions with him, and we kept in touch. But just the finer points of media presenting, uh, speaking, but also how to carry yourself, which is a big part of it. Uh, the other thing that I did, which was... What, what do you mean by carry yourself? Uh, just how you go about yourself. If I'm in the public eye, not only on TV, but if I'm out at the races, um, he, he know, these guys have been around long enough that they know when somebody's disingenuous or someone's not really there for the right reasons or someone's just carrying on like a general pork chop. And the people that respond positively to that are the ones that they want to have anything to do with. And uh, TJ would always, you know, say re- respect first. There's always a lot going on on a racetrack that you have to navigate your way through. And he was very, very good for that. Because, again, that comes down to personal branding as well. Um, speechcraft, I did I, – I was, I was a ter- terrible public speaker. Um, and this was, you know, only five years ago. So I did – Speechcraft, um, which was, I think, about, I don't know, eight weeks or 12-week course or something, where basically you're in a small room of people and you learn the finer points of delivering a speech to an audience, and that was amazing. Uh, Again, you will learn a lot of skills if you do go and do it. I don't have any affiliation. I don't work for Speechcraft. But if you are more of an introverted type of person or you just maybe suffer from a bit of general anxiety, um, you know, at a lower level, obviously, go and put yourself into that space because you'll learn, again, not – you'll learn a lot about yourself but also what you're capable of. Speechcraft, all it did for me was give me the confidence, a bit like uni did. I learned some skills but it just gave me confidence to be able to go and do what I needed to do and say what I really thought and put it out there in a way that everybody could take it in. That was fantastic. Um, I've had some unbelievable mentors along the way at many different levels. Um, the reason I moved to Perth is because the COO at VRC was moving to Perth to become interim CEO, and he um, he said, I want you to come to Perth with me, and he believed in me, which I'll forever be grateful for, um, just like all of those chance meetings. But um, get yourselves, guys listening, a mentor and somebody that you can bounce things off and somebody that will tell you, um, you know, maybe pull your head in or, no, don't do that, do this. How's that going to help you? Just a sounding board uh, from, from somebody who, who's who got a lot of experience. Um, this mentors are so important and, um, and identifying who can help you, even when it's not on a professional, even when it's on a professional level. So, even when you're, you're there and you're here, like I'm here four years now at Sky Racing coming on next month, I'm still seeking out feedback and I'm still wanting help. I'll, I'll never, ever forget another little story. Moved to Perth and uh, I was, oh, I, I don't want to swear, but I was very nervous about having to go on TV and do stuff on media because I'd never done it, never, ever done it. And I remember I'd got a new place in, in – uh, in Rivervale, and I was about to deck it out. And so I'd driven to Ikea on a, a steaming hot day and I've just pulled up to Ikea and then the thoughts just hit me. I'm going to have to be on TV. I'm going to be scrutinised. 
and this wave of anxiety just swept across me and um, I got a phone call at the time, a real again, a real chance phone call from at the time my partner's mum and um, they were they were my, my partner's um, father who's, who's passed or my ex-partner's father who's passed and her mum. Um, they were heavily involved in TV in the uh, in the eighties and nineties. Um, very successful too. And she said to me, "What's wrong?" And I said, "Oh, nothing." She said, "No, I can tell something's wrong." And I said, "I've just had this wave of anxiety come over me about having to go on TV." And she told me a story uh, about so so they had the show um, well before Hey Hey It's Saturday. Um, they created their own show, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And if you remember Ian Hewitson, he was uh, he was the, the big fella, the chef, and it was that's another funny story too. They said uh, cooking on television is not going to work anyway. Uh, we know what's happened since then. Um, anyway, she said um, she said Ian Hewitson is a star, but he was never like that. He had to start from somewhere too, and. Um, that actually gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I've got to work at this and I've got to work harder at this. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's anybody can do anything if you work at it hard enough. And it's just the same with media and, uh, and presenting, but there are lots of courses, but there are also just a lot of people to help. And I think one general overall thing above any skills is, uh, is the confidence. You've got to build yourself up to a place where you can be comfortable and uh, and you can say, I can do this. This is going to be tough, but I can do this. One of the great storytellers is Mark Rubes. So I think uh, <laughs> we always need to document these. They're, they're quite good. So <laughs> That's what we're doing right now. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, you mentioned how you, you know, made use of mentors in the past and um, how important they are. I guess a, a question that people always ask is like, what is what is the best way to have a mentor? Like, do you you know do you meet with them every week or do you meet with them every month? And what exactly do you talk about? Mm. Um, could you sort of enlighten us as to how that mentorship sort of worked? Was it very ad hoc? And how did you sort of come to the point where they became a mentor? Because um, I think it'd be very valuable for people out there because a lot of listeners will, will always sort of say, "Do I want a mentor?" But I'm not sure how to approach it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been really lucky. I've never had to had to seek out a mentor. I never really thought um, I'd need a mentor because when we're young, we all think, "Oh, I know everything," and if I don't know everything, I can learn everything myself. But uh, it, it's not the case. Um, if you're looking for a mentor, there's probably already one that you've met, or there's probably already people around you that you think that um, can probably help you. Um, yeah, again. I'd probably be no good at answering that question because I've just been really lucky that along the way I've met these people. They've helped me, like my uh, my old boss from VRC and Perth Racing. He now just calls me probably oh, a bit more than once in a blue moon, but he'll just call me and he goes and he'll go, "What's the gossip? What's the latest news?" And I'll tell him, "Oh, not much, Jules. What's happening with you? You know, how's how's things? Blah blah blah." And um, and we'll just ha- end up having a chat, but you'll always get some good lessons out of it. Start off with your parents, you know, or start off with even a colleague, um, but don't be afraid to reach out either like I was uh, because people are so willing to learn. Um, and you guys have touched on it previously in interviews. You don't be afraid to, to reach out because uh, 
Um, 99% of people are more than willing to help you. I think just just on that, um, I saw something recently, so I don't take credit for this at all. It was featuring Simon Sinek, and he was talking about how he came to know his mentors. And the process went along the lines of, I met someone, I asked them a question, they picked up the phone and answered it for me. Then I went through life, came across another problem, called them back, and they answered my call again. And he just did that enough times to the point where it became normal. And then at some point in time, he stopped and was like, oh, hang on, this guy's my mentor. So, it kind of just formed naturally by having someone receptive to your problems, you going away and taking on their advice and reporting back on what actually happened from there. And if you can show someone else that you're taking the actions that they've suggested, then they're going to be more invested in your growth and it just kind of continues to spiral from there. So, um, that was something that I saw recently on, on the topic of just how to form that relationship. Yeah, for sure. And you'll come, a lot of people listening who might already have an entry in, you've probably already met people that you're aspiring to, to be or be like. Um, those are probably the people to latch onto because they've got the knowledge that, that you want and that you need to achieve your goals. Absolutely. Finally, Mark, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to grads out there interested in pursuing a career in media presenting? Uh, There are plenty. I think the main ones, be yourself uh, completely. Be yourself. Don't try to be what you see on social media or what you see on TV. Be yourself because uh, phonies are snuffed out very, very quickly in media, but also in racing even more so because... There are a lot of people watching, like every sports, but especially in racing, it's just a bit more hardened than your your average sports industry. Um, there's also graciousness, humility, honesty, teamwork. You know, you've always got to be prepared, especially with what we do. A bit like what Kath Lockman was saying, one of my favourite podcasts, by the way, too, boys. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and a, and a lot of um, just a lot of yeah. Like Kath said too, that aspect of being prepared and always being ready without, um, I guess, without knowing what's coming or, you know, expecting things to go right, something always goes wrong. I'm, I'm probably really bad for the environment, and I shouldn't say this, but I've always got a stack of printouts ready to go that I can just pick up and go, uh, right, um, can't wait to see Winx Racing next weekend because um, – She's searching for a 25th group one or blah, blah, blah. Just always be prepared. And, and like you guys have said on many, many occasions, especially for your interviews, um, and if you are looking for a, a career in media, be prepared for criticism and white noise because thanks to social media, you will cop it. Uh, it's inevitable. But it only, it, depending on how thick your skin is, it will only help you in the long run because it will make you more resilient. Um, I never grew up wanting to be on TV. That just, I just didn't. I didn't. I grew up not knowing what I wanted to be at all, and I fell into it. Um, and and many do. But if you know that that's what you want to do, just be completely genuine with your approach. Be yourself. Have the attitude of always wanting to improve, and make it clear to yourself and your perspective or even current employer of what you want to do because you will then get a great understanding of your strengths and your weaknesses, which 
is an enormous help. So um, a lot of people think what we do is easy, but uh, there are always rough edges to sand down. But um, keep at it. You'll you'll get there. Um, you, you will. You, if you believe in yourself enough and you believe in your processes, even even one of the, I think was the, I was driving up to a chuka listening to the 100th episode, boys, and uh, and even, even what you guys were saying, you know, when you start to question, I've done all this work, is it going to be worth it? Bloody oath, you're, you're not far. I love that. Good to see you. we've got a, a, a loyal listener as well. Um, I recommend listening to the pod in the car. My mother does the same thing, Mark. So, uh, also, yeah, I love also, it. Can I just, can I just um, end on on one thing too? I I, I, I really enjoyed Kath Lockton's episode um, earlier earlier on um, in the series, but the point she made about networking is spot on, and that's not to to mess all over what you guys are trying to preach. It's just that what what Cass said, I think, about climbing, like social climbing, networking, um, I, I totally understand that and I and I agree with it. Uh, but be genuine. That's that that's sort of and, and networking comes organically if that makes sense. Yeah. So just be genuine to the people that you're meeting and um, not everyone's gonna like you. It's it's human nature. It's human it's human nature for not only not everybody to like you, but for you to not like everybody. But as long as you're being genuine and being yourself, all of that, that networking and that other stuff, it just comes organically. Absolutely. Uh, I think because if you come at it from the angle of it's just people helping people, then it doesn't look like you're just taking from people all the time and trying to climb unnecessarily. For sure. Awesome. Well, Mark, we might leave it there, mate. Um, but that was absolutely awesome and really appreciate all your words. I think, you know, points you made around wanting to learn, you know, resilience and, and especially the one around being comfortable, being uncomfortable, um, I think is absolutely awesome. So really appreciate you coming in to have a chat to us and uh, all the best for the rest of the – well, the start of the, the racing season, I think. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you, Ruben. And uh, I know a lot of people would say this, but I'm probably – the most at liberty to be able to say it and that's if i can do it anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> love it we'll finish on that thanks again mark thanks ryan thanks ruben all righty well that is mark almost and that was absolutely awesome rubes like how good is his storytelling ability uh the man can tell a story so what are some key takeaways from your point of view well, Ryan, he's someone who's ended up a TV presenter without any prior experience or even intention of being a TV uh, presenter. So, he's had to go in and, and take a course on how to present. Well, he said himself he wasn't the best public speaker and now he can deliver a presentation quite comfortably. And so, I think if you fall into that category of wanting to communicate better, wanting to be a better public speaker, don't be so shy as to not invest in this area by avoiding a course because there is there are courses out there as Mark talks about that can help you upskill. So and I think what people you know why people wouldn't go into it is because they wouldn't feel like it's 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 necessary. But I think this sort of thing can help you in so many different ways, whether you need to be a presenter or whether you need to give uh you know 
just present a, a PowerPoint document or if you just need to have better conversations. Like this is the sort of thing that people are investing into and Mark's a great example of the results that it's bringing with himself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I took away like I love the story around when he was at the National Jockey Trust and I guess, you know, he had a choice. He, he mentioned the fact that he got a phone call the night before. It was going to be a really bad day at the race the next day. I think he said it was going to be absolutely raining all day. And I think he had a he had a choice between, you know, hey, I could go and do this and, you know, probably be uncomfortable doing it. I'd never done it before, um, never know what it's going to be, or I could just sit at home and, and, not, and not do that. And I guess his sort of career in racing really propelled from there. Like that's the catalyst for how he got into what he's doing now. So... I guess what the advice would be is sort of next time you have that choice to do something and, you know, you might be uncomfortable if you do do it, but, you know, the the benefit is there if you do, choose to do it. Like be fine with being uncomfortable because you never know who you'll meet or what opportunity can come from that. Like imagine if he didn't and imagine if you had like the beauty of hindsight yeah, and you could see two directions where Mark's career, career goes. He says yes, and he volunteers in the rain. He ends up where he is today. He says no, who knows where he is. And, like, yeah, his career has been determined by the weather, essentially. If he's been mm. off to volunteer, <laughs> a bit of rain has deterred his path completely. Like, imagine if you're yeah. living in the most wet part of the world. Like, what sort of career opportunities are you stopping yourself from being a yeah. part of because Bugger. it's too wet? Anyway, that was just one thing. That Can't work in sport. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Too wet today. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry. But the last thing that I took away from from um, Mark, and I think this is a great reminder for those looking to branch out and increase their network, is just to be genuine when you're networking. It is a case of people helping people. Um, and when you start to get awkward and find that it's cringy, it's because you're probably not approaching it from a two-way street perspective um if you think it's just taking for the sake of taking then you're going to fall short and you're not going to find that things will come up in your favor but if you are genuine if you come at it from the point of view that it's helping people people helping people you're going to find that a lot of help is going to come your way all right mate well we will leave it there um for those who have any questions feel free to hit us up on linkedin mark has also offered his linkedin out for anyone who wants to get in touch and hear more about him and his journey so Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.